We have a video, it's about seven and a half minutes long, and we'll show that in just a couple minutes, but I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to you as a church for having us come, and I want you all to know that you, just the, all kinds of things, the, just, just being around you folks, the gift basket, uh, just getting to fellowship with you folks, you, you all have been a big encouragement to us. Um, and I really appreciate that. And um, I know a number of you um, probably rushed to get here from work this evening. I, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, last Wednesday night, we were actually late to church at our home church because I was stuck at a job site until late. So that, that's, just, that's just life. But I appreciate you being here. Um, I, for those of you who haven't gotten a chance to meet my wife. She is the um, beautiful redhead sitting in the back over here. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's just true. <laughs> and uh, she's got our two favorite little people uh, sitting with her back there. Um, Phoebe is three years old, and Gideon, he's about 15 months, um, and they are I never imagined how fun it would be to be a dad. I've got plenty of nieces and nephews, but it's, it's just different. It's just different having uh, kids of your own. And there's definitely challenges, but uh, an incredible blessing. And I feel like God has used the last three years um, getting to be a dad, uh, teaching me a lot about, about God's love for me and how he deals with us as his children. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and show the video. And then um, right after the video, I have a, uh, a just very simple, very short little slideshow uh, highlighting just a couple of the people groups that are in Nepal. And um, then hopefully, um, if I've got time, I might give you some opportunity to ask some ask a couple questions. So, um, are we ready with the video? The country of Nepal is situated between India and China, the two giants of Asia. Nepal is a land of incredible variety, ranging from the warm tropical areas of the south to the frigid Himalayas in the north. It is slightly larger than the state of Iowa in land mass, but has a population greater than the state of Texas. About one million people live in the capital, while the rest are spread across the different cities and many villages across the country. At one point in the early 1700s, Nepal was divided into more than 40 different principalities. But by 1769, the leader of one of these kingdoms, through both conquest and diplomacy, united the country, making Kathmandu the capital. Later, fearing the British rule in India, the king expelled all European missionaries and Nepal entered a period of isolation that lasted until about 1950. In a population of over 30 million souls, about 83% are Hindu. They believe that there are thousands of gods. Shrines and temples of all shapes and sizes are everywhere. Nepal was also the birthplace of Buddha. 
and about 9% of Nepalis today claim to follow him, while Muslims make up 4.5% of the population. The Hindu religion affects so many aspects of their lives, from daily religious rituals to ceremonial cremation, which they believe is the final purification from sins. After this, they believe they will continue through a cycle of rebirths into one form or another until they finally reach unification with the Supreme Soul. They do not understand that man has one appointment with death followed by the judgment. One well-known aspect of Hindu culture is the caste system, a social structure in which people are divided into hereditary classes. While the law forbids caste discrimination, it is still very much a part of their mindset and way of life. This is one of the many reasons why the many different people groups of Nepal have remained distinct over the years. Out of Nepal's 276 people groups, 266 are considered unreached. This accounts for about 90% of the population. It is to these needy people that we believe the Lord has called us. I trusted Christ as my Savior at the age of six after some evangelistic meetings at a Baptist church in Buffalo, New York. A few years later, the Lord moved our family to the Milwaukee area where we joined Falls Baptist Church. There I was baptized and later surrendered to full-time Christian service. The Lord began to draw my attention toward Nepal while in college after a missionary showed us a slide presentation of Asia. From that point on, whenever thinking of future ministry, reading a missionary biography, or going on missions trips, the Lord began to deepen my desire to serve Him in Nepal. Also while in college, another missionary came through who had just taken a trip to both India and Nepal. I talked with him at length afterwards, expressing my burden to him. He prayed that the Lord would take away that desire if it was not his will, but to intensify that desire if it was indeed the direction that God was leading. Since that time, through many different circumstances, God has caused that desire to grow. My wife Emily grew up as a missionary kid in northern Japan. She placed her faith in Christ as her personal savior at an early age and was baptized a few years later. The Lord gave her a burden for the lost, especially the Japanese, but Emily surrendered to go anywhere God called her. In fall of 2014, God led her to Baptist College of Ministry at Falls Baptist Church, where he continued to deepen her burden for souls and missions around the world. In 2017, the Lord opened the door for me and my dad to spend some time with a veteran missionary in Nepal. This was a very important and encouraging time for me to have a chance to interact with the people there, grow in my burden for them, and to see the Lord begin to confirm that He was leading me there. It was truly heartbreaking to see the hopelessness of many practicing their empty religious rituals. The Lord gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with a tour guide who could speak English. The gospel was completely new to him, but he was very open. God definitely made it clear that his hand was on that trip. At the same time, God was clearly leading 
Emily and I together, and we were married in May of 2018. After much prayer, asking the Lord to make his will clear, he has given us confidence through his word and his providence that he has called us to serve him in Nepal. In the fall of 2020, we were appointed by Baptist World Mission, and we are sent out of Falls Baptist Church in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. We believe that the Lord is calling us to proclaim the gospel and make disciples in Nepal, organizing believers into local churches who understand from the beginning that the Lord Jesus also calls them to make disciples. In this way, by God's grace and guidance, we pray that men can soon be equipped to lead the church and have a burden to evangelize and plant churches themselves. We know that this will not be easy. In Nepal, converting someone to another religion is illegal. There are also cultural difficulties. Many times, if someone becomes a Christian in Nepal, they are disowned and persecuted by their family and friends. But Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church and that the fields are ready to be harvested. The Lord is saving souls in Nepal, despite the difficulties. While we feel completely inadequate for the task ahead of us and recognize that there are many adversaries, our hope is in the Lord of hosts, the God who has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Would you be willing to join our ministry by praying for us and interceding for the people of Nepal? Okay, as we're getting the very simple, uh, short PowerPoint uh, set up, um, as you probably heard in uh, the video there, there's a lot of different people groups in the country of Nepal. There's over 250 people groups. Um, and there's different reasons for that. Uh, part of it is... Um, the, the caste system, which that's just that's part of Hindu culture. It's that's uh, that's a mentality in India, as well. Um, um, but there's also over a hundred different languages spoken in Nepal, and um, so we're we're good to go. Great, yes. thank you very much. Um, and just the arrows. Yes. Okay. So, so there's over 100 languages spoken in Nepal. Um, about, uh, Nepali is the national language, but um, about 45% of the people speak, it as, speak Nepali as their mother tongue, uh, but about 90% 90, 90 of the people will at least understand it. Um, uh, but what... Probably because of language barriers and uh, the, the caste system, 
the people groups really have not intermixed that much over the years, so they remain distinct. Um, so there are many different people groups in Nepal, and these are all just pictures of... Um, am I in anybody's way? Can you guys see? Well, excellent. Okay. Um, so these are just pictures of people of um, just a handful of many different people groups. And I'd like to highlight, um, I believe it's the three largest people groups in the country of Nepal. Now, Nepal's not very big. It's about the size of Iowa in as far as the size of the land. Um, but this is, I believe this is the largest people group here. Um, and just a little bit of information about them. Um, there's about, there's over uh, 5 million of them in the country. 98% of them are Hindu. And there's only about 0.14 of them that are Christians. Now, that, uh, that percentage, I believe that's any type of probably any type of religion that would call themselves Christian. So those that are truly born again, um, I'm not sure what the percentage would be, but you can see it's quite small. And this is a, there's, 500, there's over 5 million people in this people group. Um, I believe this is the next largest, the Brahmin Hill people. Now, um, I mentioned the caste system. Um, now just to give me an idea, uh, how many of you understand at least basically what the caste system is or how it works? Could you raise your hand? Sort of a little bit. Okay, okay. So a lot of you don't. Basically, um, every, every person in Hinduism is born, into a, uh, is born into a group. There's four major groupings, and then there's subgroupings in those, but uh, there's four main groupings. And basically... It's kind of like they, um, those in a higher group look down on those in a lower group. They, would, um, they really don't want to interact with those people very much. If they try to talk to them, they wouldn't really listen to them. That's basically the caste system. Different, different groupings, higher groupings down to lower groupings, and the people in the higher groupings kind of discriminate. Um, it's kind of a... Kind of a Religious racism, sort of, is what it is. Um, this people group, the Brahmin Hill people, they are uh, really they, the the Brahmin people. The Brahmins are on the on the top of the caste system. Okay, uh, so they're very proud. Um, these Brahmin Hill people, there are over th three and a half million of them. Ninety-seven percent of them are Hindu. And there are no known Christians. There may be some, but there, those who have done research, there is none that they, that, 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 that they have found that are Christians in this people group. Um, they are very proud in their religion. Um, they um, would be very reluctant to, to change their religion. Um, but they're lost. They need the gospel. 
Um, and there's a lot of them. Uh, this um, is one of the biggest people groups in Nepal, and they're, they're, um, they don't know of any Christians that are in that people group. Sorry for the poor quality of this picture, the Magar people. Um, I might be butchering the pronunciation of that, but this people group, they're about, there's over two, two, over 2 million of them, 87% uh, are Hindu, and this is slightly larger percentage of Christians, but still a very small number. Um, so just to give you an idea, I mean, there's a lot of different people groups. Uh, there are some that are more reached. For example, the Tamang people group. Um, they, most of them would tend to be Buddhist, but there's a larger percentage of them that have been reached. A lot of missionary effort has been focused on the Tamang people. I believe it's over 6% of them would call themselves Christian. So there, there are people being saved in Nepal. Um, I don't know if I need to do anything with this. Or we, okay. Um, but there's a lot of need there. And really, the, a lot of this, um, pretty at least for this uh, PowerPoint, um, all the research I did, and I would encourage you to look up this website. It's called The Joshua Project. Has anybody heard of this? Okay, a few of you, The Joshua Project. What it is, um, you can select any region, any, any country in the world. It'll give you a list of people groups. For most of them, it'll give, even give you a picture of a person from that people group and it will tell you how many, what, what their main religion is, um, how many of them there are in the world, how many of them there are in that country you selected, and what percentage of them are Christian. And if you spend any time at all looking through that website, you will see many, many, many people groups across the world where there's very few, if any, Christians. Uh, there's a lot of need out there. There's a big need out there in Nepal, definitely, but really all over the world, even here. Um, and it's not really, it, it's not my job to tell any individual what God's will is for their life. That's not my responsibility. But that is between you and God. Um, but one thing I believe with all my heart, God has a very specific plan for each one of us individually. And I can pretty much guarantee you, God's plan for you is a lot bigger than your plan for you. We all make plans. You kind of have to. It's part of life. But as far as what what, you, what your goal is, what you really want to accomplish in your life. I want to ask you, is that what God's plan for you is? Is that what God wants to see accomplished through your life? Because really, if you think about it, I'm not sure what the average lifespan here is in America. Let's say it's Let's say it's between 70 and 80 years old. Okay. Uh, from my perspective, 
that kind of seems like a long time. But somebody that's lived most of those years, does it really seem like that long? It really doesn't. And you think about it, what God's plan is for those who have placed their faith in Christ as Savior. We get to be with him, with Christ, for all eternity. In a place where there is no sickness, no sorrow. And how You think, how long is eternity? Think about eter- your life right now compared to eternity. If eternity, if you could illustrate it as a line, let's say from wall to wall, your lifetime, it wouldn't even show up on that line. It's so tiny. But the way God has designed it, choices we make in this life will have an effect on all of eternity. So before we get ahead of God and decide what we want to do with our lives, we need to seek God for his will for our lives. Because really, that's what God designed you for. And if he designed you for it, that's really, there's nothing else that's going to make you more happy than accomplishing God's will for your life. There's nothing that's going to be more satisfying because that's what God designed you to do. I'm not sure what God might be calling you to. But I know for me personally, as God has begun to make clear to me what he wants us to do, as God's been making clear to our family what he wants us to do, the more I think about it, the more I feel like I can't do it. Now that might seem a little confusing to some of you, but let me explain. Honestly, I'm not, we're not going to, my, my wife and I, we are not going to the country God has called us to because we feel like we can handle this. Because we feel like we were made for this. That's not why. Honestly, we don't have that feeling. We don't feel, I remember when I was there about five years ago, um, I got to meet with another missionary and I was I was very much, well, after spending about a day with this fella, I was very much under the impression that he was, he was made for this. He was cut out for this. This fella, he knew, he knows multiple languages. He actually developed his own software to assist in translating the Bible. Um, that's not me at all. Um, if you threatened me with my life and said, you know, if, you know you're going to lose your life if you can't write out even the simplest computer software, I'd be dead. Okay, I can't. That's not, that's not my thing at all. Okay, I'm not skilled in that area of life. Um, if I can't do it with hard tools, I probably can't do it. Um, now, the, the job that I have been working up till now, doing construction and remodeling, I enjoy that. That's what I feel comfortable doing. 
but I know that's not what God has for me long term. Um, that would be easy. And honestly, I remember when I was there, comparing myself to this other missionary, I started thinking, wow, could this really be what God wants me to do? I'm nothing like this guy. This guy is made for this. I could think of a lot of other people that would be better at this than I would be. But I remember uh, that the missionary that I was with at the time, he, uh, he was in charge of, in, as well as pastoring a church, he ran a children's home for orphans. Okay, And he would do, on a nightly basis, he would do devotions with them. And they would teach the kids English, which was nice because I could, you know, we could, I had somebody to talk to then. Um, but they started, as part of their devotions, they started singing this song. And it was a song about Gideon. And um, <clears throat> in the story of Gideon, did, when God called Gideon to lead the people of Israel against the Midianites, did Gideon feel like he was made for that job? You read that, if you read that account, it's clear that Gideon is thinking, okay, you, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong guy. I'm of an insignificant family, and I'm the least in my family. There's no way I can be the one that you're looking for. Was it Gideon's skill that brought about the victory against the Midianites? Not at all. In fact, God did certain things to make sure Gideon understood it was not his skill. Gideon was just willing. He had nothing to offer except his willingness to obey God, even though he felt like he could not do it. With pretty much anything God calls us to do, no matter how small, how, no matter how, uh, whether it be sharing the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker, or maybe, or maybe being a missionary in a different country, whether or not you feel like you can handle that has nothing to do with whether or not God's called you to do that. God is just looking for somebody who is willing to trust him enough to obey him. Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Has nothing to do with our ability. All that God needs, all that God wants for each of our lives, is for us just to be willing to trust him enough to follow him and obey him. And I guarantee you, his plans for you are far bigger than your plans are. And his plans for you are going to be far more satisfying for you than your plans will be. Um, <clears throat> I just want to take just a, couple, just a couple minutes now and give you an opportunity. If there's any questions, I think I've got time for a couple of questions. Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. So the Lord's provided about 15% of our support so far. 
I've got a long way to go. Uh, we've, we've got a long way to go, but um, I'm encouraged with where it's at, and uh, we're, just, we're just transitioning into raising support full-time. Um, as far as uh, evangelism there, the Constitution guarantees freedom of religion, but it's illegal to uh, try to convert somebody from one religion to another. So churches can operate there in the open, uh, especially in the more um, urban areas. They can operate without really being troubled at all by the government um, because they have the constitutional right to be there. Uh, but it is illegal to try to convert somebody from one religion to another. Um, But God, God, God protects, uh, you know, and God, there is no man on earth that's powerful enough, or group of men for that matter, that's powerful enough to stand in the way of God's will moving forward. Okay, that doesn't mean there won't be persecution. Um, we don't expect things to be easy at all. But when I was there, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with, with a fella, a very well-educated fella, a higher caste, um, he was a tour guide, knew English pretty well. And we were standing outside, right outside the entrance of the largest Hindu temple in the country. And there were all kinds of people walking by us as we were talking. And I was a little concerned, you know, what are people going to think? Um, you know, really not supposed to be doing this. But nothing happened. Was able to go through the whole gospel with this fella. He didn't, he didn't get saved. Uh, he, there was just some things... It was just completely new to him. He had never heard anything like this before. And he wasn't quite ready. He very willingly uh, took a gospel tract. Um, you can, you got to be careful. Uh, in some places, they're a little more hostile. Um, but, you know, you know, was able to give a gospel tract to a fellow working at a grocery store. And I believe there's a lot of people there who are very open, technically, uh, evangelizing is not legal, but the Lord, the Lord will protect as long as he wants us there. And he does. Uh, he's been doing that for other missionaries for years. Maybe one more question, if there is one. Yes, sir. Yes, um, our plan is, to, at least for the first couple of years, to work with a veteran missionary there. Um, I am aware of, let's see, one, two, I'm aware of um, at least six missionaries that um, are, are, in that, are in the capital, uh, working in the capital right now. So... If you have any more questions, uh, I'd be glad to take any of your questions later on uh, after the service. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. All right. Thank you very much for that. And I know many of you have stopped by the table. I encourage you to do so again. Pick up a prayer card, and we'll continue to pray uh, for the stalls as we pray about how the Lord would direct us concerning missions for our budget for the year 2023. We're Hoping, hoping, Lord willing, to be able to add some missionaries uh, to the ones we currently support. And so appreciate your prayers there 
uh, as well. And we'll continue to pray for the stalls. We thank the Lord uh, for the work that God is doing in their lives. And we'll continue to do uh, with them and through them. At this time, um, Jake and Emily are going to sing. I do want to say one more word of thanks to Pastor Irwood for the messages he has brought this week. And they have been convicting, been challenging, and been encouragement to us. So after Jake and Emily sing, Pastor Irwood's going to come and bring our closing message for our missions conference this year.
to tell the story for those who know it best. Seems hungering and thirsting to hear like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. to Dolly and I, and we mean that from, from our hearts. So as we close this missions conference, I want to draw your attention uh, to Acts chapter 14, please. Acts chapter 14, really just one verse to launch us into this message tonight uh, as we look at how God opens doors. And as you well know, we've been talking about these messages as they would build on top of one another. But I want you to look at verse 27. It's kind of just a launching verse as I show you from the New Testament how God opens doors. Uh, notice what verse 27 says. 
And when they were come and had gathered the church together, now this is after the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. In other words, Acts chapter 13, we looked at that the other night and we saw how, how God sent them out and chose them and called them and sent them out. Now watch as he is rehearsing what God had done those six to nine months on the first missionary journey. It was the shortest of all. It was the launching pad. It was the first. So it was, it was the prototype, we would say. And from that, larger missionary journeys came from that. And here we are on the 21st century still now continually doing what Paul had patterned in the New Testament for us to do. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. In other words, they reported back to their church, their sending church. All that God had done and how, watch it carefully now, and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Our text is just one verse of four open doors in the New Testament. Now, though I don't have time to explain all of them, I do want to show them to you. And I want to say first and foremost that our Lord was all about opening doors. He even said in the book of the Revelation, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut. Revelation chapter 3 verse 8. So the greater part of the New Testament, if we just sit down and read the New Testament through with the mindset, I just want to, I want to see how God opens doors. You will see it from the gospel all the way to the book of the Revelation. It's amazing. And I think he does this on purpose for us so that we would know that it is his business. It is his business to open doors. It, it is his desire. And what he needs is people to go through those doors as he opens them. Now, there is a divine trilogy that I found in my research. And I'll show it to you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just show it to you. You can sketch it.